0: As you know, at least as I hope you know, every week when we print the bulletin, we put some quotes in there that I think are sort of thought-provoking and challenging. In fact, we title it, Some Quotes to Ponder. And it's kind of impressive, if you read those regularly, how often that the quotes have to do with attitudes we possess. In fact, just in a, in a recent bulletin, there were these three quotes all about attitude. Let me read them to you. Attitudes determine actions. You are not what you think you are, rather what you think you are. And so thoughts, really, our attitudes really display who we are, what we are, what we do. Here's another. We are either the masters or the victims of our attitudes. It's a matter of personal choice blessing or curse. And finally, man is the only known creature that can reshape and remold, remold himself by altering his attitude. So that's just a sampling. There are lots of quotes about people's attitudes. And what that indicates is that everybody understands and recognizes the importance of having a proper attitude. Uh, It strongly affects who we are, and it strongly affects what we do, our attitudes. This morning, we want to talk about the most important area of all. We want to talk about attitudes, but specifically, we want to talk about having the proper attitude toward God. As we were just saying, even secular people of the world understand that your attitude affects who you are and what you do. That is especially true relative to God. Our attitude toward God affects how we conduct ourselves in our personal lives. And we want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. We stop here just briefly to thank everybody for being here, for your uh, joining in as we gather to study the Word of God and worship Him. We appreciate you being here to be a part of it. And for any and all who are visiting, thanks for coming our way and Please come again whenever you can. It's a beautiful Lord's Day in Middle Tennessee, and we are blessed to be able to be together. All right, so our attitude toward God, again, go back to that last quote I read to you. Man is the only known creature that can reshape and remold himself by altering his attitude. And so our attitude is important, and if our attitude is not right, we want to get it right, and that's what we want to kind of discuss. First of all, let's make the obvious and necessary uh, point that attitude toward God is extremely important. What is your attitude toward God? Well, it's important to have the right one, and I just want to point out a couple of examples. In 2 Chronicles chapter 25, we read about King Amaziah. Now, King Amaziah was the son of Joash. He's, his father is more famous, king than him probably. Joash started out as just a child being king over Israel. Uh, or, or Judah, I guess. Um, Joash uh, started out pretty good as a young man, but in his later years didn't do so well. Amaziah, his son, came to reign. Amaziah was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart. The, the reason I bring this reference to your mind is he did that which was right. He, he did the right things, but not with a perfect heart. And so what this would indicate is that his attitude wasn't there. Attitude is so essential. He did the right thing, but the Lord knew his heart wasn't right in the doing of it. His attitude wasn't right, we would probably say. What about us? Are we engaged in the right actions, but our heart is not in it? Amaziah seemed to have had that problem. And we might have that problem too. In the reading that was read for us by Matt earlier, Revelation chapter 2, beginning verse 1, the angel of the uh, unto the angel of the church at Ephesus right, and so the Lord is addressing, this is the first one, of seven different churches. We call them the seven churches of Asia. Ephesus was the first one the Lord addressed. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou cannot spare them which uh cannot bear them which are evil, I think I left off, and has borne and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. If you were to stop right there in what the Lord had to say to the church at Ephesus, you say, man, that's a good church. They're, They're doing all the right things. But you know the rest of that. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from which thou art fallen and repent. And so even though they were doing the right things, the Lord understood that they were not doing out of deep love and conviction and devotion to Him. And He urged them to repent, that they needed to repent. And so they were going through the motions and they were the right motions, but it wasn't from the heart. And clearly the Lord was not pleased with them. And so our attitude toward God is Very, extremely important. It cannot be overemphasized. What's your attitude toward God? What should it be? Well, our our attitude toward God has several different elements that we want to mention. The first of those that we want to talk about is the idea of fear. We need to fear God. Usually, when we use the word fear today, we are talking about, very plainly and singularly, we're talking about being afraid. But when the Bible talks about fearing God, we know that the fear often means awe and respect. For instance, in Psalm, uh, again, the fear often involves awe. In Psalm 33, beginning verse 6, "...by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord." Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So this is talking about God's amazing, amazing creation, isn't it? And the power displayed in his creative work. And because of what we can witness in all that God has created, we are told to fear him. But the text goes on to explain what this fear is about. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So here, clearly, the idea of fear is awe, respect. And God deserves that. In the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Okay. Okay. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. Man, that's what I want to do, right? Isn't that what you want to do? Don't you want our worship to God to be accepted by Him? Well, if you're going to do that, then you need to approach Him with reverence and awe. The clear implication is that if we don't have that attitude of heart, we again might be going through the right motions, but if we don't have that attitude of heart in which we hold God in great awe and respect, then our worship won't be acceptable to Him. And so when we talk about fearing God, we talk about holding Him in awe. But I want to tell you, that idea of being afraid is in there too. Uh, Awe, fearing Him in awe, that's certainly taught. But fearing Him in the sense of being afraid of Him is also taught. We need to be afraid of what will happen if we do not do the will of God in our lives. Go back to that verse we were just looking at that talked about reverence and awe. But notice it goes on to say, our God is a consuming fire. Wouldn't you think that that sort of flips that coin over to the other aspect of fear? Awe and respect. But he's a consuming fire, which would indicate that he will bring his wrath and punishment upon those who are not obedient. The be afraid component is in that same verse. Jesus said it very well in Matthew 10, verse 28. Fear not them which kill the body. Okay, what kind of fear does he have in mind? Fear not them which can kill the body. That's uh, the afraid kind of fear, right? You, you, you get out on this, uh, in, a, in a bad place, maybe a bad area in the dark of night. Maybe your car breaks down on the highway. and Well, you fear. You fear them which can kill the body, right? Here Jesus says, fear not them which can kill the body, but are not able to kill, kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What's that fear him? Don't fear those. Don't be. Af- we could say it that way. Don't be afraid of those who can just kill your body, but they can't kill your soul. But fear him, be afraid of him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Who is it that can destroy both soul and body in hell? It's God, Right? God is the one that we are to thus be afraid of. We should be afraid of what will happen if we don't obey Him. So, to start out with, when we, again, we're talking about the elements of a proper attitude toward God, fear. Both awe and being afraid. Those are attitudes that we need to possess toward God. But I want to tell you, fear, while fear is necessary, the higher motivation for serving God comes from love. In Matthew chapter 22 verse 37 Jesus said to him thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul and with all thy mind. I don't know how that could be stated in in a more thorough or plain way. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart with all thy soul with all thy mind. What is this love? So we're supposed to love the Lord. What what you know, we use that term really loosely, don't we? We might throw the term love out about just almost anything. I, lo- I love soft, cuddly little puppies. Oh, yeah. I love hot chocolate chip cookies right out of the oven. Sure, yeah. So we, we, we use the term love like that. Even more commonly, we talk about love in the romantic sense, you know. Uh, uh, we get this sort of amazing feeling, a young boy and a young girl, and they're, they're really taken with one another, you know, and, and they have this strong emotional feeling, and it's love, and oh, it's so wonderful. We understand, we use the word love that way, but this idea of love is far, far exceeding that. This is the kind of love that you might have for your family, for your wife, or for your children. This is a deep, devoted kind of love. And here, the love of God, and we know the Bible teaches us this, that the love of God has to surpass even the love that we might have for our own family. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And so, certainly, a necessary part of our attitude toward God is this love above everything else. Total love of God with all the heart, soul, and mind. Well, why why would we do that? Why would we love God like that? Well, in 1 John 4, verse 19, it's explained simply, we love Him because He first loved us. When you think about everything that God has done for us in the past and in the present, what He currently is doing for us, you can't even begin. You know, we sing the song, Count Your Blessings. You can't even do that. The blessings that God sends upon us in in a continuing basis You couldn't put a number on it. So count your blessings is a good song, but it actually assigns us a rather impossible task. You can't count all your blessings. We love him then because he first loved us. And so love, that's the high motivator. That's the attitude that leads us to do what we should do from a right heart. And that love certainly would involve deep commitment. Uh, We're not just saying uh, that love is just some sort of ambiguous thing. We're saying that love, the attitude of love, uh, should produce in us full devotion and commitment. Look at Luke 14, verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Notice the degree here. What's the degree of commitment? You have to forsake all that you have. And somebody says, well, I, I, I still have a house, I still have a car, I still have clothes to wear. Have I forsaken all? Well, he's not saying that you literally have to dispossess yourself of these things, but you have to be willing to do so. Nothing. you would. There's nothing that you wouldn't give up in order to serve God out of love and commitment. Forsake all. If you're not willing to forsake all, you can't be my disciple. Jesus said, the Apostle Paul did that. We know as we study his life in Philippians 3, verse 7, beginning, Whatsoever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I might gain Christ. That, la- that level of commitment, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to say I'm where Paul was in that. But I understand that to be the ideal, the goal. That's where I need to be. I need to have that sort of co- commitment to God. I give up everything to faithfully serve Him. So fear, a couple of different aspects. Love, commitment. What about this? What if I fear God? What if I love Him? What if I'm really committed to Him? Those atti- I, I, I'm working on those attitudes. I need those attitudes. Those are clearly necessary attitudes. I want to tell you: if I have all of those attitudes, then I will clearly have the attitude of obedience. Really, if you stop to think about it, uh, we prove that it is true. We prove that we have these attitudes. We prove it's true. And I'd like to answer the question: Do you fear God? Yes. Do you love God? Yes. Are you committed to God? Yes. But if those are true statements, then they're going to be ad- they're going to be manifested in an attitude of obedience, what God says I will do. Here's how Jesus stated it in John 14, beginning verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So Jesus said, We'll see. We'll be able to detect if you have these attitudes of love and commitment and fear by observing whether or not you have an attitude that brings you into full compliance and obedience with the things that God says. You know, it's not just the big things. Uh, love and commitment and fear of God is not manifested just in obedience concerning the big things. I was thinking, you know, a lot of us are rather concerned about what the future may hold. Is, uh, will there be some rules, some orders that come down that maybe try to inhibit our ability to worship God, for instance? I ought to tell you, if the government makes a rule that says I can't worship God, I'm going to worship God anyway. If the army or the police are standing outside with guns, I'm going to worship God anyway. They're not going to stop me from worshiping my God. If they put a test like that on me, buddy, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to follow through. Well, that'd be a big test, wouldn't it? That'd be a big test. And someone said, I, you, you, if you test me that way, I'll show you. But then we, we, we want to say that we would be at that level of love and devotion, commitment, fear, of God, but then we fail the lesser test, the lesser test, you know, and we're not faithful in easier things. How can you say you would be faithful in the big test of your love, devotion, and commitment to God, but you fail in the lesser ones? How can that be so? And so, again, we got to have those right attitudes. We, we need to possess those right attitudes. Okay, Moses summarized this, I think, really well in his sort of farewell address to the children of Israel before his death. In Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Almost everything we were just saying is encompassed in that statement by Moses to the Israelites. And that statement is still applicable to us. We understand we don't live under the same law they did, but the attitudes that are expressed in that passage clearly are the attitudes that we need to have do you have this kind of attitude toward god i hope as we pointed out it's absolutely necessary and we know some of the components i'm by the way i'm not suggesting that the categories we listed there are necessarily every one that you might list i hope that they're broad enough to cover all the bases and so i know attitude's important And I know what my attitude ought to include. But what if I have to say, honestly, really just being completely honest, what if I have to say, uh, I'm not there. I I don't have that attitude. So if that's true, and, and we might as well evaluate ourselves honestly, God certainly knows our hearts. He knows what our attitudes are. If I have to say I'm just not there yet then how can I both establish and improve my attitudes toward God? Well, first of all, we're going to suggest some really simple things. First of all, let me suggest you study. Um, If I want to draw closer to a person, how do I do that? Well, a very necessary thing is communications, right? If I want to be closer to a person, I need to communicate with them and do it often we understand, of course, that that would apply to God and that God speaks to us, communicates with us through his inspired word. Psalm 119, verse 103, beginning, How sweet are thy words unto my taste! Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth! Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. Very famous passage there from the Psalms. But again, notice the attitude. The psalmist said... Thy words are sweet to my taste, sweeter than honey. He loved the Word of God. If we want to have an attitude, the proper attitude toward God, then we would love to know what He communicated to us. The old illustration that's been offered before is, what if you got a young man and he's in love with this young woman and the young lady writes a letter to the young man. Oh, it's a love letter, right? That's what we call it. So he, he he goes to the mailbox and he pulls out this envelope addressed to him from the one he loves. What does he do with it? Does he just throw it in the back seat of the car and go on? And maybe even forget that it's back there? And maybe... Weeks later, when he's clearing out all the trash out of the car, he comes across that letter. He forgot it was even there. Does does that sound reasonable? It's not reasonable at all, right? He gets the letter from the one that he loves. He's going to tear that envelope open and immediately read, what did she say to me? Well, God is the one that we love. He has communicated with us. Would we ignore his communication, not pay attention to what he had to say? The psalmist didn't. Thy words are sweet to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth, he said. Um, We need to read and study. The more the better, because that's how God communicates to us. The other side of communication is us communicating with him. And we understand while he speaks to us through the word, we speak to him through prayer uh, and, and prayer is an important part of developing the kind of attitudes that we ought to have. In Philippians 4, beginning verse 6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Stop right there a minute. That's, that's talking about prayer, right? That's clearly talking about prayer. Then continue, look that, that prayer has a promised attitude effect. The peace of God, which passes understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God? That's talking about about an attitude effect that comes through prayer. And so if I want to develop a better attitude toward God, I need to pray to Him. I need to do it often. Study and prayer. Those two things would be really fundamental in working on my attitude toward God. I would add, I need to associate with his people. Part of God's great plan for us and for our spiritual well-being is that we have a body of believers to associate with. We know that, and really we know it from our own experience. What happens if you are around people with bad attitudes? We've all done this, right? So you're around people who have what you would have to say, that guy's got a bad attitude. But if I'm around him all the time, what happens to me? I begin to cultivate a bad attitude. Bad attitudes breed bad attitudes. What if you're someone around someone with a good and positive attitude, especially in regards to God? Well, that's contagious also, isn't it? So bad attitudes breed bad attitudes, but good attitudes breed good attitudes, and I need to be around God's people in particular, those who have good attitudes toward loving and serving Him. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Well, that's a lot of what we've been talking about, right? The attitude of love toward God. But the body works to build up itself, including me and you, in the attitudes that we ought to possess toward God. I just thought I'd tie in our recent study in the book of Acts. We're studying the book of Acts on Wednesday night. Remember that Paul was in the city of Corinth. When he got there initially, he was by himself. And he worked. He was was doing his thing and teaching the gospel. Paul reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and Greeks. But notice When Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. He was working already, but there was clearly a boost in his attitude and his his enthusiasm and uh, work that he was putting out when he had help come in the form of Silas and Timothy. Paul was affected. His attitude toward his work was affected. And I believe that is true of us as well. So I can get a better attitude by being around God's people, his faithful people. And then finally, I think we would add, if I want my attitude to get better, one of the things I need to do is just get busy and work hard. Sometimes you just need to put your head down and and get to work. Put your nose to the grindstone, as the saying goes, because... If we commit ourselves to being busy in the work, I believe it will affect our attitudes generally. In Romans chapter 12, verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Well, that's an attitude, right? But be fervent in spirit. That's an attitude, right? And it's linked with serving the Lord. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And so I think as we get busy in His work, it affects us and our attitudes in a positive way. Alright. There's some thoughts about proper attitude toward, uh, proper attitude toward God. Attitude's so important. We know that. Everybody knows that. Even non religious people acknowledge your attitude is so important. Well, the most, the, the, the most vital area of all, of course, has to do with our service toward God. We know what we, we know the attitudes we ought to possess. I think our concern is how can I get more of that proper kind of attitude, but the answers to that are available as well. And I hope we all work at developing better and better attitudes toward God. Thanks for your attention to what we've had to say. As we bring the lesson to a close, we'll we'll ask a question relative to your attitude. What is your attitude toward God? Is your attitude that of one who loves Him and wants to submit to Him in all things, be obedient, as we mentioned in the lesson? That's the right way. That's the right attitude to possess. Have you obeyed Him? Have you obeyed that simple gospel plan of salvation? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of sins. Have you done that? If not, we hope you'll make that decision. Uh, we we'll would be glad to study with you more to help you in making that decision. How can we help? If you're a Christian already, but you would have to say, my attitude has not been good. My attitude towards serving God has not been what it ought to be. Then we beg you to come back to Him in repentance, comp- confession, and prayer. If we can help, let us know what we stand and sing.